Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of How Did They Do a Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sayla Prack. Today, I am honored to be joined by Dr. Tom Burns. Dr. Tom Burns is the principal of Presario Venture, a private equity real estate company in Austin, Texas. He's listed in the acknowledgement section of the Robert Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and is the author of Why Doctors Don't Get Rich, a personal guidance guide for people who wanted to live their life to the fullest. So he's spending time with us today to talk about a real estate journey of how he's get to where he at today, and also like giving us some of his guidance of why he would invest it in the different real estate asset classes, passive income. So really appreciate you spending time with me today, Dr. Burns. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Sal. Thank you for having me on. So Dr. Burns, if you don't mind, can you share a little bit more about your background and how did you get started with real estate to begin with? Sure. It was kind of an unexpected journey. I was a young person. I was an athlete. So I played sports and sadly or properly found out that I was pretty good, but never going to be good enough to get paid for it. So I needed something to support myself. And so I decided I was good in school and decided to be an orthopedic surgeon and a sports medicine specialist so I could still hang out with athletes who I understood and was used to hanging around with. So that's kind of that weird path to medicine. And so I followed that path, finished my four years of college, four years of medical school here in Texas, and then did five years of residency, an extra year of sports training, and no training in speaking. As you can tell, I lost my voice there for a minute. Uh, And then, uh, you know, came back to Austin, Texas, where friends and family were and started practicing. And it was somewhere in that time is when I started picking up the real estate game. Got it. And so, you know, like as a doctor yourself, right? So basically as a physician, basically they very high income owners and you, like majority of people would say, okay, I made it. I make a lot of money now. So why, what made you thinking about investing in real estate? Sure. And there's a core, and that's sort of the title of the book, Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. It's not just for doctors, but it's sort of a metaphor for the fact that no matter how much you get paid per service or per hour, if you get sick or you get hit by a bus, the music stops. So that's sort of that thought process. But the way I ended up getting into it again was somewhat providence or accident or touched by an angel. As I mentioned to you, I finished medical school and I was going through this five-year training process. Doctors train through the apprenticeship model. We are trained by those ahead of us that are already doing what we want to do. And so they teach us, which is a good way to learn real estate, by the way. And so I'm in this five-year program and about halfway through, I start noticing the doctors that are teaching me. These are folks that are 10, 20, 40 years older than me. And that's by extension Mm -hmm. who I'm destined to be in 20 years, right? Right. I didn't necessarily like what I saw. They were good folks. Uh, They drove nice cars. They lived in nice houses. But many of them were on their second or third marriage. They spent late nights in the hospital, even if they'd been doing it for 20 or 30 years. They were complaining about not having control of their profession. They were told how much they were going to make for doing certain things. And people like insurance companies every year was just basically telling them, you're going to make less for what you do. Now, nobody felt sorry for doctors and nobody should feel sorry for doctors. But again, their income was declining while inflation continued to go up. And so 
I saw this happen enough times that I thought I don't necessarily want their money if I have to have their life. So I thought there ought to be something else. Maybe I ought to find something that's not correlated with medicine that brings me in some income because Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily want somebody telling me what to do. And my plan in life was to enjoy it, to travel. I never got to do that as a child. My parents couldn't afford to take us all over places. I wanted to travel. I wanted to be sort of the general of my own time. And these folks didn't seem like they were. So I started looking for things and it it took quite a while. I ended up landing on real estate just because it fit the busy life of a surgeon in training or a surgeon in practice, because you can do it part-time or full-time. You can use partners. You don't have to be right there at the perfect time. You don't have to be Mm -hmm. first in or last out. And so that's when I started learning about it. And after I finished my training, I came back to Austin, Texas, paid off a few bills after getting finally getting paid as a doctor. I didn't start working until I was 32 or getting paid, paid off a few bills. And by then I had worked and studied and talked to a number of people about real estate. And so I did the only thing I knew to learn the best, which was to jump in and start buying things. So I bought my first property. Got it. And thank you so much for sharing that insight. And how did you get started to purchasing your first property? Can you walk us through that process as well? You bet. You bet. So I truly and literally paid off a few bills when I started getting paid as a doctor. And we lived frugally at the time. And so I paid off my meager student loans and it was time. So this was a long time ago. So it'll freak out some people. But back then we got newspapers, particularly on Sundays. And so it was a Sunday night. And in the back section of the classified ads, there was a real estate section. And I looked in there and I found something for sale. And it happened to be a student condominium on the West Campus at the University of Texas. I'm in Austin, Texas, right? So by then I'd learned how to work the numbers and everything. And it seemed like this might work. So I called the number on it, went and looked at it. The guy that showed it to me was also the property manager, which was kind of nice. So he knew all about the property. And I did the math, which was simple. It looked like it was probably going to cash flow. That's what I wanted. I wanted money that came in, whether I was working or not. And this was hopefully going to provide that. So I said, great, looks like it'll work. What do I do next? He goes, well, you need to put in a contract. I said, awesome. How do I do that? Because I didn't know anything. So all I knew was kind of how to do the numbers that real estate was probably pretty Mm -hmm. good. I'd never bought anything. He goes, I'll do that for you. Awesome. So he puts it in and we win the deal. I said, great. What do I do now? He said, well, you've got to go get a loan unless you're going to pay cash, which was not the case. He said, you got to get an appraisal. you got to get inspections and all those. I said, that's awesome. But how do I do that? So he'd set up the inspections and appraisals. I called a bank friend and to get some money. I basically called up my friend and said, hey, I'm buying something. I'm supposed to get money from you. What do I do? He said, well, I need cash flow statement, personal financial statement, mm-hmm. tax returns, I didn't know any of this. I didn't even know if I had all that. So I even got mad at the guy for asking me for so much financial information, right? This is how little I knew at the time. So I struggled my way through this first purchase and all these people were helping me because I was a complete rookie and we bought the place and fast forward two or three months and it was making me about a hundred to $150 a month in passive income. It was really great. So just to take the story further, I kind of looked at that. I called up the uh, property manager, the broker who'd show me the property. I said, this is really cool. I said, have you got any more? He said, yeah, I got one down the street. So we went and looked at the one down the street. Again, the math looked like it was going to work, decided to buy it. That process took me less time. There were still more lessons that I learned in that process, but it took me less time than the first one. And we bought it. 
And I bought another and I bought another and I bought another. And I got so good at that particular market that I bought one side unseen. I bought one with no money down, not intended, but I knew more about the property than the seller and the seller's broker. So I probably bought a dozen of those properties and got pretty good at it. And that's kind of where I learned at least that little market. Wow, that's an amazing story. Nothing's better than actually just jumping on, like you mentioned earlier, was jumping on and do it, basically. Absolutely. And then Dr. Burns, and after then, you purchasing more properties and more property, one right after another, and you see the power of the passive income, right? Yes. At what point you started creating your company, Preselio Ventures, and why did you create your company? Sure. So that you know, that was a personal portfolio, and there came a time when that particular niche got discovered and the numbers didn't work as well, right? So I had to move on from the condos. So I bought a small apartment complex and actually bought that before I knew what I was doing and you know barely got out of it with my money. But today I would have probably made a lot of money with that. I bought anything, anything that would produce income. I bought discounted notes. I bought mobile home parks. I bought, you know, cell towers, things like that. All I wanted was the income. I didn't care what it was because I'd read Robert's book. I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, you know, there's the income statement with the income and expenses, the assets and liabilities. All I wanted was stuff that would go in that asset box to produce income. So I was doing that. What happened, Socket, is that when you're in the market like that and people realize that you'll close, you'll buy, they start bringing you more deals for one thing. And then people come and start wanting to partner. So partners came on, started doing a few things. And there came a point when I was actually speaking on stage for Robert Kiyosaki and conference in Arizona. And at, he said, I'm from Austin, Texas. At the break, somebody comes up to say hi and introduce themselves. And it was somebody from California that was moving to Austin and just wanted a contact, wanted somebody in Austin that they would knew. I said, sure, give me a call. I'll show you around. Well, long story short, that person ended up becoming my partner in the mid 2000s. We started doing deals together. We started our first company in 2008 or nine had a different name, but the iteration of that particular company is Presario Ventures. So we kind of got to know each other for about five years and realized we had the same process, the same ideals, the same work ethic. And so we became partners. So that's the evolution of what ended up becoming Presario Ventures. Wow, that's an amazing story. And you said that you know each other for five years before you actually becoming a business partner, right? Yes, we did. So do you recommend if somebody wanted to find a partner, what are some of the characteristics or things that they should be looking for before you're actually becoming a business partner? Yeah. And this kind of goes for investing with people too. You certainly want some, if you're a person of integrity, hopefully everybody is, everybody says they are for sure, but you want to make sure that you've got shared ideals and shared goals. Doesn't mean you have to have the same kind of personality because sometimes the same personality, you want the yin and yang. You want somebody that fills gaps that you have. Mm -hmm. But it helps a lot to really get to know them. If you don't have that luxury these days anymore, I suggest spending $1,600 to $3,000 and doing a background check. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds very harsh, but based on what a lot of stuff we might have seen over the last couple of years, that can save you a lot of heartache. It's nice to know what's in their past. It'll tell you if there's lawsuits or liens or bankruptcies or you know things like that. Sometimes you might share financials. If you're going to be partners in a company, you might right. you know, might want to know how strong your partner is. And then once you get all that done and you and I decide we're going to be good partners, we do one small deal together and we see how that goes. Because 
when times are good, it's not when you find out what kind of a partner you are or what mm. kind of partner you have. When things go wrong or things go bad, and they inevitably do, that's just life. That's when you find out how each of you respond and you can weather those storms going forward. Because if you can weather those kind of storms when you come out of the storm, but a lot of money can be made for you and for your investors if it's that type of company. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And Dr. Burns, you experienced the powers of passive incomes at a time, even though it's like you, first property, you mentioned only $100, $150 a month yeah. of cash flow. And I hear a lot of people saying, you know, $100, $150 is definitely not worth it, the time or whatsoever. What is your advice to investors who says that? That is a great question. That's really a common thought. A dollar that you don't have to work for is really valuable. That means mm -hmm. you can be working, vacationing, sleeping, playing with your kids. That money's going to come in. There's nothing you can do about it. That's a really positive thing. And so, yeah, maybe today $100 or $150 isn't life-changing, but there's a thing called compounding. The power of compounding is pretty amazing. And so it's the concept of a couple of the concept of eating an elephant one bite at a time one deal $150 a month deal at a time or the concept the sports concept of not swinging for home runs all the time but swinging for singles imagine if you okay just take my deal imagine if you had 10 or 12 say 10 of those $150 deals that's $1500 a month that's not mm -hmm. insignificant and and now think back and this is where the power of compounding comes in so that property was bought a long long time ago so that property that that gave me 100 to 150 a month, now clears 1200 a month, single property, one of those dozen properties. I still own it. I haven't seen the property since the day I walked in to buy it. So it's been 25 years, I've never seen the property. My manager takes care of it. The money just keeps coming in. It has paid for itself over and over and over again. And add to that, the other 11 ones that I bought. So you start compounding those things and what happens if you're making 150 over time, maybe you buy two, three, four, ten of them. Now you got 1,500 a month. Well, inflation's going to raise that number, and that 1,500 a month, if you use it correctly, it eventually starts to add up. And I always mm -hmm. tell people, it's like it's your investment. Your money starts making babies. So maybe you put down 15,000 dollars on a property. Well, if you wait 10 months on these properties, now you've got another 15,000 dollars. If you're making 1,500 dollars a month from 10 properties at 150 a month, so. I know that was a bunch of numbers, but patience and time will make you look like a rock star. Thank you, Dr. Burns. And you mentioned that you invested in other asset classes as well, cell yep. towers, cell storage, and all that, right? So what is your focus right now? Your focus remains multi-tenant residential, which is essentially multifamily. And as you mentioned, we have one little offshoot that's kind of like multifamily. So we acquire or primarily develop multifamily properties, mostly in Texas. Well, in fact, all in Texas, we got rid of our New Mexico, Oklahoma properties. So we're a 
smaller firm. We build multifamily properties in high job growth areas in Texas, which is not that hard to find because there's a lot of job growth in Texas. <laughs> so that's the main focus right now. I think obviously still underbuilt for multifamily. New starts, construction, and sales have all dropped, of course. Interest rates mm-hmm. went up. You know, the pandemic was one thing that really caused havoc with some of our development projects. Now the interest rates have gone up. So the sales volume has plummeted. The development has plummeted. And so it doesn't mean we're still underbuilt. So there's going to be even larger gap in a year or two, probably a couple of years, there's going to be a gap in the number of apartments available and the number of people that need to use them. So cost of buying a house is still high. So that makes people renters. So single family homes, build to rent communities, multifamily properties, those are all I think they're all going to be good in the long run. doesn't mean some of them aren't having troubles now, but that's the nature of real estate. It's a long-term game. So that's still our focus. Build to rent, multifamily, and like you said, we did a little bit of extended stay hotel. Extended stay hotel as well. So Dr. Burns, since you start investing in real estate, are you still practicing right now or not anymore? I have retired about two and a half years ago. So uh, I want to talk about a little bit about that mindset. What made you make a decision to retire? So basically, you can do both, right, if you wanted to. What making you making that jump? That's a guy. Well put. I like the question. Well, and actually, I did do both for a long time. I continued to practice. I think it's 12 and a half years after I was making more money from my real estate than I was from my orthopedics. Reason for that was, number one, security. I typically suggest to people, hey, even if you replace your income, keep working because now that's two incomes and you'll just make that gap bigger and that buffer bigger. But there was nothing else to do. Everything was so well laid out. I had a partner that worked with me and was a physician assistant and made life easy for me. And we both enjoyed work. We literally would look at each other and say, I like coming into work because I was able to eliminate stuff I didn't like, like take and call. I stopped doing that in the 1900s. I like to say it that <laughs> way, but call is disruptive to your family. We would get off of insurance programs that just that really worth our time. Uh, we could treat people for free if need be. Didn't have to worry about whether we got paid or not. So it was enjoyable to come in and do practice and just do the things we wanted. So that went on for quite a while. And then what happened was my friend Kiyosaki, his idea, he says, you should write a book. And I said, no, I don't want to write a book. He goes, no, nah, you ought to write a book. Ah, so, I, okay. So I wrote this book and I wrote it to give hope and guidance to people that wanted to kind of control their own lives and be the masters of their own time. And I'd always had students and people I'd talked to and been on podcasts here and there. And I started getting a lot of people calling in wanting to talk. And so it just came to where I, I thought maybe I could have a bit more impact on more people, trying to help them in whatever way I could. And so I had three jobs. I had the doctor job, the presario job, and the trying to help folks get to where they (laughs) want to go. And so with three jobs, eventually it got to a point where something had to go. And so if you look at my W-2s for the last four years of my orthopedic career, there was one year that I think our front desk person made more money than I did. So I barely made any money, almost zero for those four years. So I wasn't I wasn't in it for the money. So that's why I finally gave it up. And it was grudgingly. It took me six months to decide. And I had a friend. I was on a retreat with a bunch of guys and there's about eight guys. And one guy said, so what, you know, you're still practicing? I said, yeah. He said, how much money do you make? I said, none. He said, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, it's really rewarding. So anyway, it's been a good decision. 
Dr. Burns, that's amazing of what you have done. Then Dr. Burns running three things, like three successful careers, companies, and also helping others achieving their financial freedoms as well. What is your secret to making sure that you have all these three running smoothly and also enjoying your own times and freedom and do whatever you wanted to do in life as well? Man, I don't know if I have a secret. I'm still learning how to manage my time properly. When I was a physician, when I was a doctor, and people around me will corroborate this. It was family first. And so even before I had all the passive income, if it was my turn to read to the second graders down at the school, I would cancel afternoon office. So that cost money to do that, but it paid giant dividends, right? So that was, I don't know why that was my mindset. I had a great childhood. My parents were awesome. And maybe I wanted to be an awesome parent as well. So I didn't want to miss any kids stuff. And so Maybe going forward, always try to make time to travel. That's my one of my biggest hot buttons. I love to travel and I've always tried to keep that up. To be quite honest with you, everything was scheduled pretty nicely when I was doctoring because I'd have a morning office. That was I pretty much worked only mornings, would rarely and occasionally do like one case on a Monday afternoon. All the other afternoons were free, but those days were scheduled for me. I'd come out in between patients and I might do a call, I'll have to do with my real estate thing, but you know, I really enjoyed being with the patients. Well, when I retired, I didn't know how to manage my time. Nobody was scheduling my mornings anymore. And I'll be honest with you, it took me a number of months to figure out how to properly schedule my time. And I'm still working on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Burns, if you have to go back, what you know now about real estate, what would have you done differently or at the beginning? Yeah, that hindsight is so clear. It's so clean. There were certain asset classes or assets that I got into that were solid and money makers. I might could have doubled down a little more on them. Focus was not necessarily one of my greatest attributes. I always joke that I'm one of the poster boys for attention deficit, so I'd look at anything that made money. I think certainly focus and getting real good at one thing is might have done a bit more of that. But the flip side is I wouldn't change anything because it brought me to where I am and I'm grateful for where I am. So I've made a lot of mistakes and I haven't made my last one. Those mistakes, some of them have been very painful, some of them just mildly painful, but they all provided lessons. So I may have made some mistakes, but it's tough to give up the great lessons that I learned. And so that's my two-sided answer for you. Thank you, Dr. Burns. And my last question is, you're talking about mistakes. A lot of times people are making mistakes, they're having a hard time moving on and learning from that mistake. Or what is your tips for like, so that people can actually learn from those mistakes and move on and leave it behind and just take the lesson and move on? That's a great question. And maybe it took a little seasoning and this gray hair that you see on the side, but I can promise you and tell you sincerely, lie detector on my arms that I know when things are going bad, there's a good lesson coming from it and things are likely going to be better because of it. Sometimes you cannot see that. You're in the middle of that fog of pain and bad times and you can't see it, but you got to know it's there. And it's probably because I can look back now and see when I made, I made various mistakes, what I learned from it. And, and if you think about it, at least in my case, I can look and realize that, hey, I actually avoided a problem in this next deal five years later because of what I learned from that other mistake. So you're going to make them. Never pass up the lesson from a good mistake. And the, the key is to try not to make that mistake twice. So they're going to happen. They're either going to be 
because of something you did or because of something somebody else did, but you've just got to realize that it's all part of the game. It's all part of your education and it will make you stronger. It'll make you bigger and you can't change the past. You can whine about it all day long, but unless you've invented some machine that I'm unaware of, you cannot go back and change that. So the only thing you can change is how you respond to it. So Mm -hmm. If it's a rainy day, you can say, I'm sad it's a rainy day, or you can say, what, this is a good day to get all my paperwork. So it's your choice how you respond to good and bad stimuli. Got it. So Dr. Burns, thank you so much for spending time with me today and talking about your real estate journey, talking about your career and how you get into passive income, creating your company, Preseria Ventures, and also a lot of amazing tips of how to get started, how to like learning from the mistake going forward. So is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners that from your end that you want to share to our listeners to get started with investing in real estate? If you're new to the game or even if you've been in for a while, sometimes one of the best real estate hacks in the world is persistence and time. If you just keep your head in the game, keep pushing forward, don't quit. Don't let those mistakes, small or large, derail you. Keep moving forward. Try to do something to grow each day. You'll find the success you're looking for. Thank you so much, Dr. Burns, for spending time with me. So if our listener wanted to find out more about you and your company or reaching out to you, where can they go? Sure. The website is richdoctor.com and they can email me at hello at richdoctor.com. Dr. Burns, thank you so much again for your time. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.